AJ is one of the most knowledgeable leaders on school board governance you can find. As you will hear Jeff and AJ discuss, governance is often messy work, but it does not have to be with the right guidance and support. AJ and Jeff unpack what they notice in terms of current trends and spend time talking about what leaders can do to help guide the process relative to what is best for students, schools, and communities. Very relevant stuff. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, how are you? My name is Jeff Rose. Welcome to Leader Chat, and I will be a broken record for a minute by saying we know some of you are watching us live right now. Uh, Leadership Circle members, some of you will be watching the video when we send it to you on this Leader Chat, and then many others are listening to this via our podcast, Leader Chat with Jeff Rose. And as you know, our goal is to organically align the content, the experts that we invite to this show, specific to the needs and often the challenges that educational leaders are facing. Whether those are superintendents, associate superintendents, regardless of that title at the central office, all the way down through being a principal, we're able to kind of track dilemmas and challenges and therefore opportunities of leaders across the country and beyond. And we have this unique uh, community to be able to do that. This topic today, which is really around how we lead and focus on the governance structure, sometimes referred to mostly as school boards, and how leaders interact and guide and support and work as a team with school boards. We have talked about this topic before, but today we're bringing actually a new level of expertise to the table. We've talked about it with, um, we had a member, one of our uh, Leader Chat members, Dr. Andre Harrison, um, talked with us about that. Uh, Dr. Elgart, actually our CEO, also talked with us a little bit about the challenge of politics and education. Um, and many of our members have referred to that over time. But uh, today's guest um, is deep in the topic, and, and you'll see in a minute. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read uh, A.J. Crabble's uh, bio here. Um, now, improving student outcomes is A.J. Crabble's focus. He served for six years in governance leadership in Kansas City, where they doubled the percentage of students who were literate and numerate on grade level and increased graduation rates by 15% and went, went from being unaccredited uh, to full accreditation from the state in the first time in decades. He served as he serves as a conservator at DeSoto, Texas ISD. During his guidance, DeSoto has improved from F ratings in academics, finance, and governance to A and B ratings. During his two years in managerial leadership in DeSoto, they have double digit literacy gains and went from an F in the state accreditation system to earning a B. AJ also is on the faculty at Leadership at Institute of Nevada and Director of Governance at the Council of Great City Schools. He has served as Deputy Commissioner at the Texas uh, Education Agency. Crabble is the recipient of the Education Commission James Bryant Conant Award. And let me just say, without going into detail, it's kind of a big deal. It's a, it's a major deal. And so without further ado, I'm going to welcome AJ to the screen here and say this. AJ did not want me to read his bio. Um, I told him how the show's going to go, and he said, now skip over that. 
And I said, hey, Jim, sorry, we don't skip over that. Like that's part of we introducing you to our audience. We just have to do it. So I shortened it big time as best I could, AJ. So welcome to the show. And just maybe start by telling us like what have you been up to? How have you been? <laughs> Jeff, it's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, it's been an interesting couple of years. You know, is anyone who's been paying close attention to school board land has probably noticed um, there's there have there have been some issues that have come up, and so working with school system leaders as they've tried to navigate uh, some of the challenging waters, not only of a pandemic but also of a set of issues that have really uh, reinvigorated the conversation around school board governance nationwide. Um, and, and how do boards respond to that? And how do they engage with those issues that are really at the heart of so many of their community's concerns, but in a way that doesn't distract, doesn't detract from the critical focus of school systems, which is improving student outcomes? You know, to your point that people have probably noticed that, you know, the land of school board opportunities and issues has, has, is kind of alive and well and noticeable. I often say we know that's the case when it makes a Saturday Night Live skit. When no something doubt. makes it to Saturday Night Live <laughs> as a skit, you know that people can relate to it, otherwise they wouldn't have a skit on it, right? So yeah. um, let's back up. So I'm not gonna go into your bio because you don't want me to do that, but maybe tell us about your motivation, your why to doing what you do with governance. I mean, you're, you know, you have done so much work every single day. You're traveling the country, engaging on on this topic. You're passionate about it. I know that from our past interactions. But maybe just talk to us about what is your initial motivation? Why do you why do you do what you do? Uh, there are kind of two different pieces of that. First, my journey through public education, um, and then as a parent, trying to help uh, my uh, children navigate public education. And so first, you know, in my own journey, I, I grew up in foster care and bounced around to a lot of different schools. And so I, I had experiences where there were schools that didn't really make a huge effort to meet my needs and to try to push through the, the veneer of anger that a frustrated child uh, presented them. But I had other places where the teachers were absolutely not persuaded um, by any of my attitude or rhetoric and that they saw what was possible for me um, and their willingness to push through that and to persist um, and to really pour into me and, and to pull from me you know, all that I had to offer um, has really been a difference maker. And, and so a passion for recognizing that there are safety nets for our most vulnerable children and that as they work, they can be this tremendous blessing in the lives of children who might not have other blessings to rely on, that, that public education may be uh, the, the grace that they experience. Um, but then certainly as a parent of trying to help um, children in my own household navigate uh, the school system and make sure that they were getting access to the things that they deserve. Um, I, I think many people have had the experience of just being engaged uh, parents and showing up and getting involved with the parent association. And the problem you show up to one too many of those meetings, the next thing you know, you're the the president of the parent association, and then you show up to too many of those meetings, the next thing you're on the school board, and it just kind of spirals <laughs> out of control. 
So you found yourself uh, serving, obviously, uh, as a school board, as mentioned in your bio. Um, but so much has transpired since you serving in that role, like you still do, um, to actually supporting boards and coaching them, um, pushing them. Um, what? Uh, when did you realize that this is going to be your life's work? Um, well, I tried to quit. Um, and I was so frustrated in my first two years on the school board. I was really the outcast. It was a nine-member board. And so there were a lot of 8-1 votes um, in those first two years. <laughs> oh, you were that guy. Okay. I was, I was that guy. All right. Um, and I was so frustrated, kind of so disheartened by the experience uh, that I decided, you know what, this isn't for me. I can't really have the impact I want to make. And so, you know, I'm going to quit. Um, something that is not, you know, what my parents trained me to do, but I was, I was, I was just done. And so I, I was explaining this decision to some of the people who um, were the core of my campaign committee, you know, who did all the door knocking, you know, all the phone calling, all the work necessary to get a neophyte in uh, electoral politics uh, elected. <laughs> And I was explaining to them that I was going to quit. And they explained to me that that is not what was going to happen, that they did not, in fact, knock on all those doors um, in order for me to just walk away and that I needed to come up with a different plan. Um, and so my different plan was, well, then you know, we're going to have to figure out how to radically change how the school board operates because it's just it's broken. And, and I didn't have the language then, but I have the language today to describe what I was experiencing is that the school board was intensely focused on adult inputs and not at all focused on student outcomes. The, the, the board was so caught up with, you know, who should get which contract and were adults happy about this decision or that decision um, and who got what job. And there was never a conversation about how do we actually know whether or not students are learning? What is it that we actually want students to learn? Um, and when it's working, what are we, how are we expanding that and growing that and supporting that? When it's not working, what are, what are we doing to adjust? Like those conversations never came up. And so I, I set on the path to try to identify what would it look like to actually govern in a powerful way that was intensely focused on improving student outcomes. Again, I, I didn't quite have the language then, but through research and reaching out to colleagues across the country, uh, we slowly began to identify a set of practices um, after the next election, uh, my colleagues voted me in as board chair, and we promptly canceled uh, pretty much every board meeting for the next several months. Uh, before I became board chair, we were averaging 14 board meetings a month. Um, and so we just stopped. The, yeah, yeah that, you heard correctly. <laughs> so we put it into that and said, there's really no point in us meeting until we have a better sense of what it is that we can do that can really be a blessing to students. And so we became ourselves students of governance, not not what I, like nobody's running for the school board thinking, you know what I really want to do is study research about effective school board governance. Um, but that was, that was the necessity at the time. And so that's what we did. And what we built then has become the genesis of the work that I now uh, try to share with um, all 14,000 school systems nationwide. Uh, that there is a more effective way to govern, a, go a way that is instead of being completely devoted to a focus on adult inputs, instead be focused on the reason school systems exist to begin with, 
uh, how can we as a school board be intentionally focused on improving student outcomes? So you went from that guy to, you know, the, the <laughs> from that guy to being talked in a chair to this radical shift of let's align ourselves to a different focus, probably one uh, aligned to the needs of kids and and students and learners as opposed to uh, some of the adult politics and chaos that happens. And this is what I, this is going to be some of the, the crux of our discussion today. Um, if you were to sit me down and ask me a question and say, so what do you think are the challenge? What are the common mistakes um, of school boards? I would have an opinion. I'd have lots of them based <laughs> upon my experience. If yeah. I were to gather our, our, our leadership circle members and say, hey, what are some of the mistakes you are finding at the school board level? And open up that discussion. We talk for three days straight and one go to bed. No doubt. Right? It would just go and go and go. Now, you have a very different, a keen lens into this that's different than mine. It's, it's, more, it's more acute. It's more specific. That's different than just the opinions of gathering people around the table. So... From your perspective, what are you seeing as some of the common trends on just some of the mistakes that are being made? Let's just start with just some of the mistakes being made you see school boards making, unintentionally maybe, but what are some of those mistakes that you would be able to describe to us right now? Well, and your your point that it's unintentional is actually well made. As I've crossed the width and breadth of the nation, I don't run across board members who are up late at night figuring out how to harm children. Um, or, um, some are, in fact, up late at night figuring out how to harm superintendents, but uh, <laughs> none of them are up late at night figuring out how to harm children. Um, and so part of the challenge here is that we've actually just been miseducating school board members across the nation for quite some time. Uh, when I say miseducating, uh, I don't actually imply malicious intent there. Just the things that we focused on are not the things that are going to be transformative in the lives of children. And so when you look at uh, most school board trainings that school board members receive, a lot of it is legalistic in design. It's how do we not you know, break laws around open meetings? You know, how do we you know, conduct meetings with Robert's rules? Uh, things like that, which are important topics to be sure. But it's easy that if all of the training that you receive is on those topics, it's easy to come to the conclusion that we're just a legalistic body that is here to serve as a perfunctory, you know, meeting passage. And then once we get to the meeting, you know, that's what we've done. But, but there isn't really a deeper why behind it. And so I think that's one challenge. And another challenge is that when you go to many of the conferences that are allegedly designed for school board members, often what you'll find is workshops that are entirely designed for superintendents. Um, and so I actually coded uh, with a group of colleagues several years back. We coded three years worth of national conferences for school board members to try to identify what were all these sessions actually about um, and, and who was putting on these sessions. Uh, what we found absolutely kind of stunned and appalled us because these are conferences that are designed for school board members. But what we found was overwhelmingly most of the training was about operational matters. Again, training the works sessions that would be appropriate for superintendents and your staff, but not sessions that actually had anything to do with effective governance. <laughs> and we found that overwhelmingly the largest chunk of 
session providers were actually vendors. And so what was happening is board members are showing up, they're figuring out what the superintendent's job is from people who are trying to sell them on a particular product, and then they hurry back to their home districts with wonderful ideas about, hey, I heard this guy say that if we just bought product X. But it's not that board members were trying to you know, walk a path away from a focus on student outcomes. It's that they have been led on a path that was really focusing on a, either on legalistic issues, which are necessary but simply insufficient, or that are focused on managerial issues, which is just not ever going to position board members to really be great at the core work of governing. Um, and so the, the key mistake here is that there are things that boards should be focused on. Uh, they should first and foremost be focused on setting the priorities for the school system of what is it that students should know and be able to do. And then they should be actively monitoring progress relative to those. And then they should be doing work to align the resources of the school system that they have authority over with those priorities. And they should be communicating about progress relative to those priorities back to the community. These four behaviors, uh, clarifying the priorities, monitoring progress, aligning resources, and communicating results, are at the heart of what effective school board governance looks like. But unfortunately, when we were analyzing um, workshops from across the country, we found that the percentage of workshops that were narrowly focused in on the topics of setting priorities and monitoring priorities was less than 5% of all sessions. So it's possible that board members could serve you know, 8, 16, 32 years and never have actually received training that helped them be intensely focused on improving student outcomes. You, you know, I, I have uh, friends, AJ, and this is playing off what you just said. I, I have uh, friends who are in, in, the, in the corporate world, uh, some of them who uh, manage and run and are CEOs of some large organizations. And they will sometimes uh, appreciate or enjoy peppering me with questions about what they would describe as problems with some of the, the, the public sector systems. Uh, governance often is uh, a topic that gets brought up. And when, when they ask me, what is the number one problem? I actually find myself saying, typically it's governance. Typically it is the distraction and the hijacking of attention away from kids and onto adult issues and systems that takes a leader's energy and time and capacity where they pour it into that so that teachers, sometimes principals can focus on the schools. So it's almost like they're defending so that somebody can focus on schools. What if everyone's attention was focused on the systems that support the academic achievements, the personal achievement of kids. What if you took away some of those distractions? And I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking one of the dilemmas is that we as leaders sometimes accidentally, unintentionally also invite our boards into what we would describe as a governance discussion that's not a governance discussion at all in a public no, setting. No. Right. So it's almost like, you know, we're frustrated by, but sometimes we are inviting them into the very discussion that likely that's not their job to discuss anyway. About them being involved in. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So so as we maybe shift a little bit of attention to leaders, right? If we, what is what what is your advice on like how do we advise district leaders to promote a healthy governance structure? 
you know, you mentioned these kind of four aspects just a second ago, but what does a leader do just to try to influence that a little bit? Yeah, and the, and the question is, you know, well asked because it's really hard for a superintendent to outperform their board. You know, if, if a board is really functioning at this level, even if you have a superintendent with this level of capacity, it's unlikely that that'll be realized um, because they really will have to norm against what is the functional level of their board. Uh, probably the best example I've seen of this, and I tell this horror story, the names have all been changed to protect the guilty. Um, I was watching a board meeting, and after a 45-minute you know, extended debate on the topic, one of the board members you know, bangs their fist on the dais and says, I am philosophically opposed to non-yellow buses. Um, it was this absurd moment that sounds as wild as you may be thinking it did. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out how on earth did we get here? Um, but the board had spent this time and you know gotten this kind of wild hair around the color of buses. And so then all of a sudden it's on the agenda, the board's debating it. That's not the sad part. To your point, the, the, the distraction is that for the next two weeks, what's the superintendent doing? Well, they're researching the color of buses and the relative safety you know, of different colorations and what was the cost to repaint buses or to use different buses. Uh, the teachers union got involved. They put out a survey. They're asking people, what, what color buses do you think? And so on and so forth. The local paper got involved. Uh, the administrative staff, they put together all of these charts and presentations at the next board meeting. They did a whole hour long presentation on the color of school buses. The board debated a little bit more. And in the end, nothing happened. There, there was no vote. There was no action. There was no nothing. But all of that time was time that was taken away from uh, the superintendent and the senior leadership team actually narrowing in on what's the quality of instruction and how do we support our principals at coaching and instruction and how do we support you know, our teachers at um, being more effective and having the instruction materials they need to be effective. Like, those topics got pushed aside for a two week period while while a community got deeply in, interested in school bus coloration and Pantone. You know, and, this, this happens constantly. So I, I'm laughing as you're telling this example because it's, it's hilarious. Uh, but in the meantime, whether it's buses or anything else, yeah. you know, uh, a particular look of a, of a high school and the front of a new high school and the debate that happens over whether the front doors should look like this or like this yep. or they should match the you know community or we could talk about literacy we should choose yeah, but, right but, you know but the, <laughs> but the part of the challenge is that when board members are walking through you know our communities you know we're in the grocery store just trying to find a non-squishy avocado and minding our own business when somebody from the community walks up and says hey i want to talk to you about something in my eight years of serving on the kansas city school board never once was that uh, conversation about hey what are we doing you know to really accomplish the district's goals and how are we improving literacy and numeracy how are we helping students be more critical thinkers and problem solvers and collaborators that that, that was never the conversation um, and so that's part of the challenge that board members face is that the constituents to which uh, as public officials we feel this great obligation that's frequently not the conversation the conversation they're bringing is one around uh, the needs of customers 
not the needs of a community invested in having a really highly effective education system. And so this goes back to your original question. It's like, what are things that leaders can do in the face of all these things? And so I wanted to share some of these stories just yeah. to give you a sense of what some of the challenges of some context. So one common issue is that people are using the school board as the ombudsman and help desk. And board members, like we struggle not to put on the red cape and try to fly into action um, and solve operational issues. And so one area that I have seen school leaders be really effective is when they took on the task of customer service and whether it's through building an ombudsman office or some type of highlight, something that gave people an off ramp. So when they had challenges that there was a way that people could get those challenges resolved that didn't involve having to show up at a board meeting. And when you think about it, the, if I'm a parent and I'm trying to get my kids' needs met, the worst way for me to try to get that met is through showing up at a board meeting because now I'm taking time away from my family. I'm talking to people who are nowhere near the epicenter of that issue. I, I should probably be visiting with my teacher or if not the teacher or my principal, um, but I'm really going the long way around of getting my kids' needs met by showing up at a board meeting. And so it's not just a matter of headache reduction for leaders. It's actually a matter of just superior customer service and helping families get their needs met to have a stronger customer service system in place that begins to supplant board members' sense that we need to be the customer service entity. Uh, so that's, that's one thing that I've seen a number of superintendents do that has really made a difference because it's you know, calmed down the likelihood that board members are being called in to play that role. Now, certainly, some of that then is you know, training that you have to do with your board members. Say, hey, look, we've got these systems in place. When folks come up to you at the grocery store, um, here's the information that you can give them that will give them the shortest path to getting the needs for their children met. Um, rather than going through the whole process you know, of trying to get on an agenda at a board meeting and discuss there where the board members probably aren't even going to talk back um, they're probably just going to listen, say thank you, and go on to the next speaker. Let, let's cut through the, the middleman in that regard and go straight to the source. Um, and so some of that is putting the systems in place and being really rigorous and intentional about those systems. And some of that is then doing the work of uh, educating your board members about how to best um, help um, community members navigate those systems. And so that, that's one example of something that I would encourage uh, leaders to do. Uh, one other example is actually one that you mentioned, is that some of the worst offenders of boards being off track is absolutely starts with the superintendent, is that the number of times that I've sat down with superintendents said, okay, why did you put these things on the agenda? You know, I, I, I understand that you wanted some feedback from your board, um, from board members. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, and or I understand the board members may have wanted information about that. I'm also not opposed to that. If board members want information about operations, give it to them. My question is, why is you put it on a board agenda? And so my coaching to superintendents is frequently, don't put superintendent work on a school board agenda. Now, avoiding this takes a remarkable amount of discipline. But if I had to offer one you know, just common refrain that I offer to superintendents is, don't invite board members into a conversation in a boardroom that you don't want them to express a sense of ownership over. 
And so if you want to have a conversation with the board members about a topic, but it's a topic that you want to continue owning, then don't put that on a board agenda. Make time to have one-on-ones with your board members um, and, and get feedback or groups of two or three, depending on the size of your board, and get feedback that way. Like, if board members want information, then provide them the information. But that doesn't mean you have to provide it at a board meeting. That's not the only place where information can be conveyed. So what I'm hearing you say is that um, leadership, superintendents, central offices, probably even down to the principals, rather than um, spiraling on some of the challenges that get caused, the unintentional challenges that get caused by uh, a school board member trying to be responsive to the community that is hunting them down in the grocery store or uh, donning the mic at a board meeting is for this leadership to put in systems to manage and support some of the communication and opportunities to engage with the community and then coaching the board on the other hand on this is what you tell them to do relative to what your role is and what your role most importantly is not is that is that yeah, correct and, I, and to really make that stick then superintendents are also going to have to make sure that there is some type of feedback loop because what happens if the superintendent says, let me carry the ball on these things, but then the ball gets dropped in any way, the consequences of the ball getting dropped will fall on the board members, and then they will just simply not trust you to carry the ball again. And yeah. so you have to be really intentional about having a tight system um, that has a clear feedback loop. So, so as the leader of the organization, you have confidence that issues were addressed, that the balls weren't dropped, the parents didn't just kind of fall into a black hole, but that they were actually responded to. It doesn't, that's not synonymous with they got everything they want, but it does mean that you have a clear system that makes it obvious that we did follow up with that. Uh, we tr worked through the process. We tried to um, meet their needs. Um, and here is the evidence of that that we're providing back to you as the board member. So that way the board members are never confronted with hey, you told me to contact the staff and I did, and then I never heard back. Uh, that will absolutely undermine it. I, I see this happen frequently. And, and the challenge, you know, the, the mental shift that, it, that I often am coaching superintendents to make is until that system is tight enough that it addresses the needs of your board members to feel confident to hand things over to staff, then it's simply not tight enough. So even if you feel like you've put in a reasonable system, if it's not meeting that threshold, then it's it's simply not sufficient to do the job. That, that you need to have a higher standard for what does this system have to accomplish. Um, and that standard that I coach folks toward is that it has to meet the standard of board members trust that we can hand constituents over to this and then step back knowing that the ball won't get dropped, the constituent will be followed up with, and that a good faith effort will be made to meet their needs. And if board members don't feel that that is true, then you've got more work to do operationally. So you and I have talked about this in the past too, and I, um, I, I will mislabel it, but so much of your work in supporting uh, leaders and boards around the country is this very comprehensive governance framework. So I was wondering, can you tell us, uh, kind of summarize some of the, the critical aspects of that framework, as well as maybe add to it. So what do you think, based upon everything that you know and what you coach districts to do, what would be maybe the, the, the first 
primary step you would recommend leaders consider? At a, you know, based upon based upon the work that you do with this framework. Yeah. So one thing that I would say, just as an aside to your question, is the thing that I appreciate about Cognia is that while there are many states that do accreditation work and entities that are involved in accreditation work, Cognia does in fact have governance as a component of that accreditation work. This is actually not universally true. Um, and so one of the things that I would aspire is that um, more states to the extent that they, like we do in Texas, we run our own accreditation system. Um, but the governance layer of that is an optional system. It's not baked into the system. And so uh, the fact that this is something that Cognitive recognizes, I, I would just encourage that to be something that more states were looking at, um, that, that that is a critical component. Uh, what we often say you know, in the sector is that what gets measured you know, gets done. Right. Uh, but if we're not really having standards and expectations around effective governance, then I think it's less likely that that's going to get the attention that deserves and really be the, the lever for greatness on behalf of children that it could be. Um, in terms of then if we were going to prescribe to more states to engage in accreditation work that included governance the way Cognia does, like what your question then fundamentally gets at, what should be in that? The very first item that I suggest to board members is that is this actually the same thing that I coach principals on, which is that mindset is the first and largest lever for transformation. It is that how I view the world, um, how, how things occur to me in the world as it's unfolding around me, like that is the longest lever for changes in adult behavior. Um, and so if I'm looking for, whether it's accreditation systems or just training models or coaching models, for school boards, uh, if I'm looking for what can superintendents do to really support school boards, the first place that I'd go um, in the work that I train in is, well, how are we impacting board members at the level of mindset? Um, and then the first mindset that I want to see a shift for board members in is a shift from an adult inputs focused mindset, um, a mindset that's focused, that believes my task is to sign off on each and every uh, strategy and activity, um, and that's my way of adding value to children. And instead, shift to a student outcomes focused mindset, where my way of providing a benefit to children is to be very clear about what the priority is for what students should know and be able to do, and then evaluate every strategy the superintendent brings back to me um, against that particular priority. Um, and those sound like similar tasks, but they're actually quite um, quite opposite from each other. In, in a adult input focused mindset, the work becomes looking at each and every grain of adult activity that's happening to figure out, do we like that adult activity? Do we appreciate that activity? Um, are there political problems that will emerge from that activity? In an adult inputs focused world, talking about what the adults are doing is the point of the work. But in a student outcomes focused approach to governing, the first thing we talk about is what do we want students to know and be able to do? And then what evidence do we have that they're actually growing in what they know and they're able to do relative to the priorities? And then how are we aligning resources with that? And how are we communicating back out to our community and to our staff about that? And it inspires an entirely different body of work. 
Um, and so that mindset shift is, is the first transformation. Uh, that if you can layer in all of the other technical skills around governing, um, but, but you do so in the mindset of an adult inputs focus, then none of it's actually going to, going to make the difference that, that we intend. Uh, so that's the first, the first revolution is, is of mindset. Got it. So, so let me ask you then a follow-up question to that. There, there are misconceptions about uh, a successful uh, board meeting. So, um, there, and I would, I know this because uh, when I stepped out of the superintendent seat and started work supporting superintendents um, and their teams, um, sometimes I would hear from a, a district that they had been, uh, they were fresh off a board meeting the night before. And I would say, how'd it go? And they'd say, it's pretty good, actually. It's a good board meeting. And I'd say, so how long was it? Oh, uh, about four and a half hours. I'm so I would, I would think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said it was a good meeting. I don't, tell me how a good meeting translates to a four and a half hour public <laughs> meeting. Nothing bad happened. Right. The I'm, absence I'm, of bad <laughs> is the definition of good. <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway, so if, if as you're talking about this mindset as the kind of the, the, the primary initial focus to kind of align to some of the systems, what if for a school system um, from the boardroom to the classroom, if they do have some of these proper mindset structures in place, just help our help our listeners and our observers of this conversation understand what would a successful board meeting look like then? What would it sound yeah. like? I mean, give us a summary to try to paint that picture for them. Yeah. And, and don't say four and a half hours. <laughs> in my most recent board meeting, um, just um, a week and a half ago, uh, we opened up the board meeting. Um, no, no, I, I'm thinking about last month's board meeting. Uh, we open up the board meeting, and the first thing that happens is that we identify which goal is being the focus of this evening's meeting. Um, and so, you know, one of the board members, you know, is called upon, and they read, here's the goal that we're focused on this evening. And then the next thing that happens is that we do recognitions of students who've demonstrated just tremendous growth relative to that goal. So we're clear about exactly what the goal is, and now we're not recognizing any student. We're recognizing only students who have really demonstrated um, meaningful progress relative to that goal. Um, after we've done uh, the job of recognizing students, which invariably also in involves recognizing the parents who brought them and the, and the teachers and principals who supported them. Once we've done these recognitions that are, sp again, specifically focused on what is the goal that we're talking about this evening that is the focus of this evening's meeting, then we go into the monitoring report where we pull out the data and we look at the previous reporting periods, the current reporting period, and then kind of what our aspirations are for future reporting periods. And we look at the data to figure out, are we on track or not? Um, are, are we where we expected to be? Um, if we are, what worked and how we're going to do more of it? If, if we're not, uh, what, what did we try and what pieces of that worked and didn't work and how do we calibrate around that? Um, how do we make pivots in our strategies um, and what specific uh, things does the superintendent need from the board uh, to implement uh, the pivots that the superintendent is proposing? Uh, that's the nature of the conversation. That takes up half of the meeting. Half of every single one of those meetings is focused on what is it that uh, students know and are able to do relative to the goal. 
um, that we're focused on this evening and what is the superintendent's uh, plan for what to do next and what support will they need from the board to get there. That's half of the meeting. And so full stop. If there's nothing else that happens, but that half of your meeting becomes intensely focused on improving student outcomes, half of the meeting becomes a conversation around what is the greatness that is happening with our children and our teachers right now, and what are we seeing in the data that is causing us to have to make shifts at the organizational level, and what support does the board need to provide in order for those shifts to be made manifest. If the only change that happens is that that is what half of every board meeting looks like, then that that is the revolution you know, that I seek to you know, inspire. And so our board meetings um, you know, for the last year and a half generally lasted about two and a half hours. Usually about an hour, hour and a half of that is monitoring student performance, whatever the goal of the evening that we're focused on is. Because uh, each month we look at a different slice of our different uh, goals. All of our goals are about student outcomes. There aren't any goals about finances. There aren't any goals about facilities. There aren't any goals about teachers or parents. All of the goals are about what is it that we want students to know and be able to do. And so every single month, that's what the focus of the board meeting is. Um, and half of every meeting is intended to be focused on monitoring progress relative to the goals for what we want students to know and be able to do. And then once we've done those things, the remaining short half of the meeting, usually about an hour or so, um, is spent um, conducting the business, uh, really looking at uh, the financial update um, identifying uh, kind of what things that we need to vote on um, at the next meeting, voting on the things we need to vote on this meeting, first via the consent agenda, then regular items, um, and then we move on. But part of the reason we can get all that done in such a short amount of time is because we have completely redesigned the way that our meetings operate. And so our board members receive all of their materials, all of the presentations, all of the contract, every thing associated with board items they're going to vote on our you know, we received that 14 days in advance yeah and so there's and in part of that 14 days is that board members have i think right now it's five days to submit questions to the superintendent and the superintendent has three days to create a document that has all of the questions and a response to all the questions so uh, almost a week before board members ever walk into the board meeting They've already had an opportunity to ask most of their basic questions and to get a written response for the superintendent. So when we get into the boardroom, it's decision-making time. Like if there's some additional discussion and dialogue that needs to happen, great, we've got time for that. But what we're not doing is spending time on all the little basic, little nitty-gritty details of everything that reasonably could have been asked and answered literally a week before the board meeting. Um, and so it's, it's changes in how we operate like that that um, continue to maintain transparency, continue to maintain oversight, but that make the main thing the main thing at the board meeting. Like the, that the majority of our time is focused on are children learning or not and, and what is our response to that as a system. And then still allows for time to address the business of the school system. AJ, do you watch sports at all? Do you ever have Absolutely. time? Okay, so um, you know what we should do? Uh, you and I will pair up and we're going to, we'll turn on board meetings and we'll become sideline commentators.
uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to uh, comment and uh, maybe even sometimes debate about what was said, what wasn't said, what should have been said, when the, they should stop, what percentages are the right percentages. And we'll just start breaking down just like they do say game footage. Uh, we gotta break down the game, game footage. footage exactly and we'll do that <laughs> right we'll become these commentators to board meetings and we'll, well try I, to I, I would i would actually take it a step further I'd, I'd make that invitation you know to some of your leaders if you've got a board meeting and if it's recorded because not all board meetings are recorded like ours are recorded on video so yeah yeah go watch them but for folks who have meetings that are recorded i think encourage that you know send that to us you know you know, Jeff and AJ can kick back. We can put on our commentator hat. We can watch the meeting. We can mark it up minute by minute and send send it back to us. Like, here are opportunities for you as a leader to really uh, make some pivots that'll improve the flow of your meetings. And here are some opportunities for you as a board chair, because uh, I think the two of them are going to have to work together to make this thing work. Here's some opportunities for you as a board chair to make some pivots that can make your meetings really intensely focused on what's possible for children and not just what's going on for adults. You'll take on that role. I'll be the color commentator because I just want to make fun of things, right? I just want to, I just want <laughs> to mock things. Yeah, it's it's a therapeutic <laughs> process for me to be able to do that. Okay, so um, as you know, AJ, we say circles are better than rows, and most of our processes are around putting people around a table to tap the collective wisdom of the group. So we're in an elevator and around this table. You've only got a couple of floors. Leaders, we've got principals, we've got assistant superintendents, superintendents around this table. What are your parting words of advice? What would you want them just, here's my last pragmatic brass tacks thing you should think about right now and then I gotta go. What would you say? Visit with your board chair and um, encourage them to get a coach. The, the, the challenge is boards just typically do not make the shift from a adult input focused mindset to a student outcomes focused mindset without some type of support. And there's uh, plenty of places they can go to get support. But if I would encourage every superintendent um, as an apex leader in your organization should have an executive coach that is really supporting you of being the best version of yourself. Um, certainly when I joined the state agency, I had not led a state agency before, and so I immediately hired an executive coach for myself. This is just a, a responsible form of professional development that is fairly unique to the roles of chief executives. But I think it also applies to the governance um, apparatus as well. And so I, I've just rarely seen the example of a time when a board has made a wholesale pivot itself away from adult inputs focus and towards student outcomes focus without external support and guidance that can help them stay the path even when the path gets a little bit bumpy. And so if there's only one thing you can do, it's have a coach, and, and, and I, this can't be kind of one and done. That's why, that's why I didn't suggest training or PD. I actually suggested coaching because really what, what we find in this work is that the boards that make this leap, it's often an 18 to 24 month journey to fully pivot away from um, being, seeing your role as being management one layer up yeah. and toward the actual role of governance, which is community one layer down. That is a very, it sounds semantic, but it's a very significant orientation. But making that shift, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes somebody being able to talk back to you and say, wait a minute, hold on, is this really consistent with your values? I don't think the superintendent is always, unless they have a really extraordinary relationship, is in the best position to do that. 
this is where having a coach could really make a difference. AJ, every time we talk, I learn something. Every time. So, and this is no different. I really, I really appreciate you. Our, our leaders really appreciate you. So just thanks so much for being part of this leader chat today. This is perfect. Well, thank you for creating this opportunity for leaders. Like obviously what, what folks want is to be great on behalf of the students we serve and um, being able to visit with peers and visit with uh, thought leaders across the industry uh, facilitates that. And so just thank you for your contribution. Absolutely. And, and you and I are not done. Our paths are going to continue to cross. So be well, my friend. Amen. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, I watch and learn, I guess I would say. Uh, it's such complicated work, uh, the concept of focused and aligned governance, um, but the advice that we just received from a man who knows and understands and has made this his life work is invaluable. Everyone, leaders, educators, ladies and gentlemen, be well.